Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you. The Bauer and Rose Show right here on Sirius XM. The Patriot Channel 125, our podcast similarly named the Bauer and Rose podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Give us a, uh, a five-star rating. Make sure to recommend us to friend and foe like Gary. A lot to talk about because a lot's happened in the past couple of days. The impeachment inquiry vote. What happened to Bauer? I'm, I'm, you, He's gone. He vanished. I'm right, I'm right here. We're not. I don't know how to break this to you. We're not a video show. We're we're an audio show. I was just. Uh, now, um, I'm sitting here talking. Bauer gets up and walks away. I I was right in my seat. You, I was just outside your line of vision. Because you <clears throat> because you here. weren't paying attention as usual. <laughs> anyway, we've got the impeachment vote uh, that took place Wednesday night in the House, um, which supercharges the investigative powers of Congress. It was 220 to 212. A total party line vote authorizes these three House panels to continue uh, their investigations and allows petitions um, to the court for grand jury materials, authorizes subpoenas and retroactively approves many that have, pardon me, already been issued and allows for the hiring of outside counsel to help with the inquiry. Well, Hunter Biden's response yesterday, of course, was his deadline. He had been subpoenaed to testify before the House Oversight Committee. Uh, Yesterday was the deadline. He shows up, of course, late. Um, He showed up not to testify before the committee, but to hold a a press statement in which he uh, uh, played the victim card quite well. Yeah, actually, it yeah, wasn't it's, well. It you was know, a and it's a joke. challenge to play the victim card when you've been withholding child support while you spend eight hundred thousand dollars on prostitutes. But he managed to do it. Uh, <laughs> and of course, the mainstream media now, the legacy media, uh, this is an issue that Im- impacts Joe Biden and the American people directly, because if something terrible, awful were to happen to Hunter, uh, Joe Biden would collapse and no longer be able to perform uh, his duties as president. So. Um, the whole thing, you know, if something does not happen to uh, the president. America is going to collapse. So there is a little bit of truth somewhere in all of that. It's uh, we're, we're, we're just we continue to live, Tom, in bizarre times. And it's it's hard to get to reality when you have a media that is so intent on um, on gaslighting all of this all the time. All the time. All Here is episode. Well, this is upside down. You can't see it. Um, front page New York Times today. Impeachment inquiry approved despite no proof of Biden crime. Now, that's why there is an impeachment inquiry (laughs) to prove or not prove. And then it's so funny how the 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 goalposts keep shifting. The New York Times in this article, the headline, it wasn't on the op-ed page. This is a news article, despite no evidence of Biden crime, does go on to list all the evidence that has mounted up. Of course, it's not proof, but it's evidence. And two days ago, they denied the existence even of any evidence. 36,000 pages of bank records, 2,000 pages of Treasury Department suspicious activity reports, dozens of hours of testimony uh, from Hunter's business associates, all kinds of payments uh, from Hunter to his dad, the texts, the phone calls, the letters, the emails, the dinners, the videos, the golf outings. Um, I wanted to ask you this. Do you think the committee, um, <clears throat> the oversight committee, which has established the rules for this this inquiry, might be making a mistake by focusing on monies going to Joe? Because um, Republicans have now set the bar much higher than the law requires. Um, and we constantly agree to, you know, Democrats shifting the rules. The criminal bribery strat- statute, Gary, is very clear. Um, if your family profits 
from your actions in public service, that's bribery. Joe doesn't have to take a shekel. You don't need to prove that Biden took a dollar. But there's this huge, you know, mountain of evidence showing that um, the family received at least $30 million as a direct result of specific actions that Joe Biden took as vice president of the United States. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right, Tom. Um, you, you know, we the Republican Party has this tendency anyway, you know, to sound like a party of accountants or a party of lawyers or a party of, you know, whatever you want to say. It, it just seems like so many of them are not very good at the, the politics of talking to the American people in a way that they can understand. Corruption is a huge issue to the American people. They see it everywhere, all the way down to the local uh, city government. There's corruption everywhere. Uh, th- there's a sense hardworking Americans have that, you know, they're they're just working like Hades to try to get ahead. But a bunch of other people seem to get wealthy while they're a public servant. That strikes most Americans like, how do you do that? How, how do you run for office and end up having more money at the end of being in office than you had in the beginning. The only exception to that rule has been Donald Trump, (laughs) which is one of the reasons they hate him so much because he showed how it's actually done. You're supposed to, to, to be a public servant and servants uh, don't get wealthy by definition. They don't get wealthy. So yeah, I think what ought to be said over and over again is Hunter Biden got millions of dollars that benefited the Biden family by selling what? He had no skill. He had no um, service he was providing. There's no work product that anybody can find. There's no copies of detailed memos advising all these foreign interests of how they can run their businesses better or do this or that better. When Joe Biden says, I never talked to him about any of that. That that should be part of the proof of the corruption. Joe Biden, as his father, should have said, Hunter, stop it right now. There's only one reason you're getting this money. These people think they're going to influence me. I do not want you trading off of our family name while I'm the vice president of the United States. Uh, Yeah, I, I mean... Look, that, I mean, for crying out loud, they impeached Trump over a freaking phone call to Ukraine that he knew had like 15 people on the line and they released a transcript of the call. Which resulted in nothing. Right. He asked Zelensky to fire. Well, the the state prosecutor that was was uh, initially fired by the previous president before your friend Zelensky was elected, um, was fired at the at the open demand of Joe Biden because that investigator, Victor Shokin, had been looking into corruption allegations related to uh, Ukraine State Energy Company that, lo and behold, suddenly, remarkably, uh, uh, serendipitously managed to have a guy named Hunter Biden on their board. So, so Joe openly pressures the Ukrainian president to fire Viktor Shokin. Viktor Shokin is fired. Joe Biden subsequently, a couple of years later, at a Council on Foreign Relations hearing or Council on Foreign Relations uh, panel discussion. On an open microphone, in front of cameras, on television, bragged about the bribery uh, uh, sense. If you don't fire Shokin in the next six hours, I will withhold a billion dollars. Brags about it. Uh, and the the uh, Trump phone call simply asked the uh, new attorney general or the justice minister, as he's called in Ukraine, <clears throat> to investigate these charges. Trump asked in that phone call and he's impeached for it and, and nothing even happened as a result of the phone call. Yeah. Well, Tom, another example is that, um, uh, Barack Obama, in, in a conversation that was not meant to be, uh, to be public or to be, uh, captured by a microphone, 
um, was sitting uh, for a photo op with a representative of Putin's. And he leans over and he says, uh, tell, tell Vladimir, as soon as the election's over, uh, I'll have a lot more leeway. And I believe it was related to uh, whether we were going to keep certain missiles in, in Europe. So that was a case where we were assuring an adversary of the United States that we were going to make all kinds of surrenders of things that are advantageous to the United States. But Obama just wanted to get past this pesky election because he knew if he did it before the election, the American people could very well clobber him for it. Nobody did anything about it. I mean, we, we yelled about it. We criticized it. But there was virtually no Republican that said he ought to be impeached. No, and of course not, because we were terrified of the prospect of of uh, doing anything that disapproved of an action of America's first sainted president. Um, moving on to this, the the surrounding hullabaloo of the um, the DEI issue, uh, the NAACP president, a guy called uh, uh, Derek Johnson, uh, issued a statement yesterday in regard to the Harvard Corporation's decision to retain Claudine Gay, the, the, the plagiarizing president who can't uh, define what uh, genocide is. I don't know whether she knows what a woman is <clears throat> um, um, and can't define plagiarism. Issued a statement yesterday that said, Harvard President Claudine Gay is a distinguished scholar and professor with decades of service in higher education. The recent attacks on her leadership are nothing more than political theatrics advancing a white supremacist agenda. So now opposing genocide is white supremacist, according to NAACP President Derek Johnson. This guy has a notorious history, Gary, Everything is racist. Everybody is racist. Uh, the banana that you ate this morning is racist. The car you drive is racist. Uh, your undershirt is everything is racist. But this, I think, is a new uh, a new low. Now, um, uh, uh, genocide is um, uh, is opposing genocide is now uh, part and parcel with white supremacy. Uh, Tom, look, this is. You know, we we talk about these sorts of things a lot, and I think there's almost a desensitizing Mm -hmm. that takes place. Um, There are powerful people throughout our our country and our government, including the president of the United States, but people all over the whole matrix of the left in America. And they are – perfectly willing. In, in fact, they, they appear to be enthusiastic to intentionally divide people in our country by by race, by tribe, by ethnic group for their own political gain. Every day they make America weaker. Every day America's enemies become stronger. Uh, there, there's If you ask the American people what's troubling them, one of the big things that's troubling them is we got to bring the country together. And, and, and Joe Biden will, will sometimes use that as, as an attack line on, on, on Trump. In fact, when Biden was running, he said, when I get into office, I'm going to be president of all the people. We're going to bring Americans together. He has spent every day of his presidency dividing, dividing, dividing. And it's, um, it brings aid and comfort to our enemies. America's enemies are hoping against hope that we will destroy ourselves because that's the cheapest war to win of, of all, right? When you when your enemy uh, turns on itself, uh, you don't even have to fire a shot. I, you know, I did, this maybe has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it struck struck me as odd. Um, uh, the the other day in in uh, I think it was Minnesota, uh, they arrested a guy for for spray painting a swastika. Uh, on a synagogue. And lo and behold, the guy they arrested was a migrant that just recently came into the United States from communist China. So, wow. Uh, You know, we're all thinking, why are all these military age Chinese men, along with these military age men from every other country in the world, 
coming into America. Well, here's a Chinese guy who desperately wanted to come into America, apparently, because there weren't any synagogues in China to, to you know, spray paint a swastika on. I, you know, the thought that actually crossed my mind, Tom, is it possible that that's why he came to America? That that among other people coming into our country are operatives whose job is going to be uh, to do what the Biden administration does every day, which is turn Americans against each other. Which is and it's working magnificently. Some people say uh, you and I have been uh, quoted as having said that Democrats don't care about America. They uh, say they put other countries first. Nonsense, nonsense. Just look at. The position on aid to Ukraine. Here's how the New York Times sold it yesterday. Yes, I have a fixation with the New York Times. Bauer has been tolerating it for years. Yesterday's New York Times front page, quote, Republicans sideline Zelensky with border demands imperiling aid package. More accurately, what the headline could have said was that Democrats put open borders ahead of aid aid to Ukraine. All their talk about aid to Ukraine, aid to Ukraine. Well, if they really desperately cared so much about aid to Ukraine, why wouldn't they throw a sop to Republicans and maybe do something, anything to help secure our border? Um, Bingo. I mean, that's it is so obvious. And 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 yet I I mean, the New I York wasn't Times finished, is doing what you would ahead. expect them to do. I wasn't finished, but go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Go well, ahead. I'll finish, I'll, I'll finish right after this one sentence. <laughs> the, the New York Times is doing what they what they would be expected to do. Why can't the Republicans be clearer about the narrative that you just adroitly summarized? Very, very simply with like two sentences. No, I look, I mean, it's they're the ones who are prioritizing open borders over everything, over aid to Ukraine, over aid to Israel. There's a hierarchy here. The Biden administration, Democrats, are now uh, chose to link aid to Israel in the midst of this existential war against barbaric terrorism um, to a huge Ukraine aid package, knowing full well that that would be a poison pill for some Republicans. That's politics ipso facto. They're, they're putting aid to Israel hostage to a huge component of aid that they know doggone well many Republicans, like you, uh, oppose. So um, there are no big surprises there. I mean, Ukraine is this um, uh, is a lot more popular among Democrats than Israel is, apparently. Um, and then faced with Republican demands during these negotiations, their choice, the Democrat choice, is to keep the board. They have three things they want. They want aid to Israel, aid to Ukraine, and aid to Taiwan. But above all of that is the open border. Because they won't, what is most important to them is the open border. It isn't aid to Ukraine. It certainly, as heck as we know, isn't aid to Israel, and it isn't aid to Taiwan. Uh, give them credit on this America First thing, Gary, because um, as Dan Greenfield points out this morning at uh, Front Page Mag, um, they do put America first, destroying America first. Yep. Now, it was a great line, and I was – the difference between you and me, Tom, is I was going to use that line but not credit him. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that was a great line. I, when I saw it at first, I thought, what, has this guy gone south now on us? You know? <laughs> I was, I was going to get very depressed. It's, uh, it's very true. Look, uh, you, you, there's so many things here to comment on. I mean, look, look at all these people in the Democrat Party calling for a ceasefire – in the Middle East, just as Israel is kicking a you-know-what out That's of Hamas, but none of them have called for a ceasefire in Ukraine. None of them. You're absolutely none right. Nor have there been any restrictions uh, or admonitions like President Biden. I thought what President Biden did on Tuesday night was an absolute, it was a, an appalling disgrace, accusing Israel of indiscriminate bombing. There's no army in the world that takes more care in large measure because they're terrified of an American reaction um, uh, to protect civilians at the risk, at the expense of the lives of their own soldiers. There was a terrible ambush yesterday, uh, which I'm sure you read about, yeah. uh, 12 Israeli soldiers killed in an ambush, um, that... Look, if, if, if Israel conducted its war the way most countries in the world conduct theirs, uh, there wouldn't be any soldiers lost because they'd just carpet bomb the whole place, uh, turn it into a parking lot. And um, 
let the survivors fend for themselves. But that isn't um, that isn't the real crisis. You know, Biden says that Israel is losing international support. Well, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because if he's the leader of the free world and he makes statements and comments like that, which, by the way, greatly demoralize Israelis, uh, the Israeli army, and ironically is very counterproductive because it's going to mean that Israel quote-unquote, has to step up its operations, meaning make them more intense, which is going to end up killing more people because they'll be able to, they won't be able to be as careful, as meticulous, um, uh, as prepared is if they had a a longer time window. I mean, what country in the, this is the Netanyahu line about the triple standard. Israel isn't subjected to a double standard. It's a triple standard because there are three standards that the quote-unquote international community uh, demands of uh, uh, states at war. If you're a tyranny, if you're an autocracy, uh, if you're uh, China or any third world country, Sudan, uh, there are basically no standards or demands on uh, living up to international standards for war. So if you're a dictatorship, you get to do whatever you want. Nobody bothers you. The second standard is that which applies to democracies. Democracies are held to a higher standard. They've got to conduct their wars uh, with greater precision, greater concern for civilian casualties, protecting infrastructure, the like, humanitarian assistance, blah, blah, blah. There's a third standard. And that third standard applies only to one country, and that's the state of Israel. No country on earth is subjected to uh, the standards that are imposed upon it by, in this case of all people, Joe Biden, the Democrats, um, the Europeans, although to a lesser extent. It's Joe Biden that's leading the international pressure campaign against Israel. It isn't anybody else. Yeah, well, look, one of the most asinine uh, arguments that has become a, a modern uh, uh, theme of the surrender left is uh, proportionality. If um, if you're attacked and in your response you kill more of the enemy than they killed of you in the original attack, you are now considered to be the bad guy because you're killing too many people. I mean, that that is a sure way to make sure that decent societies and nations never win another war. It's it's totally amoral. It's completely amoral, because if one of the combatants, one of the protagonists actively seeks to murder civilians, target civilians um, in their homes with with unspeakable brutality. And the other protagonist, the other antagonist, if you will, in this case, seeks to protect itself and actually goes out of its way to protect civilians on the other side, even though we just saw a public opinion poll come out of the Palestinian territories the other day. You and I talked about it. Eighty percent of Palestinians, eight zero, not only support Hamas, but support the attacks of 10-7. The laws of, uh, of proportionality in warfare are um, very clear and everyone seems to either forget them or rewrite them or uh, Ezekiel down the rabbit hole, Alice in Wonderland them. They give more precedence to military advantage than to civilian harm. The international laws of war, I'm quoting here, do not consider comparative numbers of dead or wounded. They ask commanders to judge in the field the military advantage of an attack, the nature of the threat they face, what means they possess to counter it, and what feasible measures they can take to reduce the expected damage to civilians and civilian infrastructure. Yeah, it's pretty clear. Um, although I, I must say, I... I, I don't even buy into the idea that there's some international body that can tell right. free nations how they have to fight their wars. Uh, and and to me, the, the very notion that Biden so eagerly raises that what Israel should wake up in the morning worried about is what international public opinion thinks. International public opinion is 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 BS. I I. There is, I am a great nation does not wait for, a, you know, polling out of Nigeria, Senegal, Thailand and uh, gutter 
uh, to decide whether it's doing something that that the world may disagree with. Nobody knows what the world believes anyway. Most of these countries, you can't find out what public opinion really is. The only thing, quite frankly, that the world tends to understand is strength. If a country is strong and shows it's going to take care of itself and its citizens, the world will go, yeah, I have a pretty good feeling about that that country. I'm not going to do anything to upset them. That's the only thing that matters in a world where right and wrong is decided by might, quite frankly. Look, America's not hated by the world. It's hated by the left. People who aren't of the left typically don't hate the United States because the left dominates the media, dominates popular culture, as shown by all these studies, and they report on the world. They report anti-Americanism as if it's universal because it's the appropriate dominant sentiment of the left. The reason that we're hated, the reason that Israel and the United States are hated is because we're successful, powerful, um, colonialists. Well, obviously colonialists and not leftists. We stand in the way of the leftist takeover of the West and the collapse of Western civilization. Um, and you got to ask yourself, uh, do we want, I mean, we've seen now three years of Democrats running the country the way Democrats in the last 50 years have run our cities. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Uh, Tom, there's so many interlocking things here. I mean, all this stuff, uh, you know, gets woven in together, whether it's the anti-Semitism explosion on the campuses, which is just the predictable symptom of what's been going on on the campuses forever. Um, you, you know, there's all this stuff on, uh, you know, the, the J- Jake Sullivan, one of the guys who was central to the whole effort to smear the Trump administration administration before it even was able to take office is on his way to Israel if he hasn't already landed to berate Israel to you know demand that they pull back etc cetera, etc cetera. the list goes on and on but but add this one in it's you know it's tangentially related somebody found that uh, uh, after the uh, death of George Floyd, uh, in Minneapolis, uh, a death that w- we don't need to relitigate on on the show, but certainly, uh, I think it's a, a death that didn't mean what the narrative that was built up around it tried to make it mean. The trial of Derek Chauvin never even brought race up. Race wasn't even a, an issue in the in the case against the guy. Exactly, but it's been used as a battering ram of you course, know, to bring all course. this DEI stuff and, and so forth. But somebody went back and found that uh, President Gay of Harvard, uh, in the aftermath of the uh, tragic events on that street corner in Minneapolis, uh, wrote either uh, in the Harvard Crimson or maybe it was on social media, but she wrote a whole essay about how the death of George Floyd made her feel as a black woman. And the thrust of it was that seeing what happened there made her feel less safe at Harvard. She was more worried about her physical safety, what could happen to her if she was walking down the street and she ran into police like those ones in Minneapolis. In in other words, she took this event in Minneapolis and she immediately took it to explain how it was making her feel uh, the the fear, the anxiety, what you know, what could happen next, etc. And yet she appeared totally oblivious to what the Jewish students on her campus were feeling when their fellow students were chanting, "From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free." There have been Neil Ferguson, our our favorite historian. I think the uh, the best. Um, living uh, historian, social commentator, had an absolutely fantastic piece in Barry Weiss's Free Press that, of course, now I'm not able to pull up, um, which he called uh, the treason of the intellectual class. And he points out there were all kinds of episodes and incidents. Of course, I can't find the 
damn thing now. Um, the analogy to the 30s in Germany. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But he goes on to completely mm-hmm. expose Claudine Gay uh, as her during her tenure as dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Harvard, uh, firing professors who um, uh, uh, disagree with her DEI initiatives. Getting uh, rid of intellectual diversity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's all about conformity. Of course, I now can't find the thing, and I'm blaming you for but you're, it. But, you're, uh, but you're, you're summarizing it well. There's, there's no... We don't we don't need to read the exact quotes. It was it was very compelling. The historical stuff was compelling, too, you know, about uh, how many Jewish uh, intellectuals and professors in Germany uh, remained in denial for a long time, hoping that they could, you know, uh, carve out a corner for themselves where they would still be able to do their intellectual pursuits. And, And even that, in some ways, is is reminiscent of how some. Um, well, I, I got to be careful. You should say this as an American Jew, but it, but but it, it, it has been notable how slow some American Jews have been to realize that the party they're making their home in uh, is infected with a with an anti-Semitism whose numbers are greater than, than the numbers of American Jews. I mean, the growing voting block in America is not going to be a voting block of American Jews. The growing voting block in America is this voting block of the people that are pouring into the country from anti-Semitic nations or anti-Semitic cultures that are going to be a bigger and bigger percentage of the makeup of the Democrat Party, not even to mention the, the students graduating from universities from liberal families who then go to left-wing universities and they come out believing that Israel is a colonial state. Elon Musk, a couple of weeks ago, was accused by all of our betters of anti-Semitism because he made the point, which is demonstrably true, that uh, liberal Jews, that's almost a redundancy, (laughs) That liberal Jews uh, who have championed and advocated open borders and refugees are welcome here and, uh, you know, ecumenical discussion over the past 50 years are now stunned to find out that millions of the people that we, namely, you know, liberal Jews, uh, have advocated and fought for the right to come here don't like us. And we're surprised to find that out. And when Elon pointed that out, it was the the left-wing Jewish organizations and, of course, the media that immediately condemned him for being anti-Semitic. It really is Alice in Wonderland. It's almost as if there's a a counter barometer here. To the left, anti-Semitism is is anything that supports the state of Israel. If you're pro-Israel, you're anti-Semitic. The only way not to be anti-Semitic is to be anti-Israel. It's crazy stuff. Yeah, I mean, they look, they, they accused the Trump administration of stoking anti-Semitism. The, the people making the accusation had fewer Jewish grandchildren than Donald Trump did. <laughs> no, I mean, so. it's, it's look, um, and this was the, the Ferguson point. Anybody who believes that the power of higher education to impose values or decency or morality just doesn't know anything about history because what we're seeing today in our universities is the it's spooky it's scary the almost identical inverse of what happened to german universities exactly 100 years ago 100 years ago between you know 1900 and 1930 whatever the finest universities in the world gary were german Heidelberg, um, Wiesbaden, the great universities, Erfurt, uh, were German. And um, uh, uh, a university degree uh, from these universities, um, as Ferguson points out, far from inoculating their graduates from the appeal of nationalism, Nazism, it made them more likely to embrace it. 
the uh, uh, the Holocaust began as speech. It started as as monographs and lectures at. German universities, scholarly papers. Um, it began in the fraternity houses at German, German universities. Um, and then with incredible speed after Hitler took power, it turned from uh, speech into conduct. Um, what's, what's, what's unique about the Holocaust, and we've talked about this a hundred times, what's really unique, what really separates it from every other kind of ethnic hatred or bigotry is that um, uh, it was perpetrated by a highly sophisticated, highly educated uh, uh, nation with, at the time, the world's most prestigious, highly regarded universities. That's why American colleges, Gary, simply cannot allow themselves to think of anti-Semitism as just another form of bigotry. Um, like uh, no different from from uh, homophobia or Islamophobia. That's why the Claudine Gay double standard, um, with their implications that you know blacks are more deserving of protections than anybody else, are so dangerous, so indefensible. I, is there hope for these institutions? Are I, I mean, well, it's this, this, this is crap is so problem. honeycombed. Firing a president isn't going to do a thing if if nothing else changes. No, no, as yeah, as we as we've pointed out the the these presidents are not the cause of the anti-semitism on their campuses or the other failures of american higher ed they are the symptom of those things and um you, you know the the faculties are it's it's disgusting i mean there's there's more marxists self-identified marxists on the the faculties of of uh, major American universities, then there are professors who would say publicly that they were a conservative. Ten times as many. Harvard, I think, one point three percent or something. One percent identify themselves of professors. I guess there's twenty three hundred of them. One percent identify as conservative. And I I don't know the the answer to this, but how many? And my guess is it's close. How many DEI bureaucrats? Are at Harvard. Do you think there's um, yeah. some kind of a relationship between? I at some of these schools, I bet they have as many, if not more, of these DEI bureaucrats than they have actual professors. But insofar as the professors are all Marxists, maybe that's not a bad thing. I don't know. You know, uh, I just saw a passing reference. I don't have it in front of me. I I could be. I, I might not have this exactly right, but hey, that's never stopped me. <laughs> uh, Oklahoma apparently passed some law. That, that said that the state uh, universities, colleges and universities uh, must immediately defund all DEI uh, employees on the campuses because it's a waste of taxpayers money and it's actually counterproductive to a good education. Now, if what we were seeing on these Ivy League school campuses wasn't happening, there'd be a full throated attack on Oklahoma for being uh, stoking uh, you know, setting the stage for discrimination, anti-Semitism, racial, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But but nobody can spend any time on Oklahoma right now when we're seeing what the outcome is on the university campuses that have gone all in on this crap and this constant chant of diversity is our strength. Diversity would only be your strength if everybody in this diverse country shared the same basic value exactly that's that's exactly right multi-ethnic is one thing and that's great and fabulous and wonderful multicultural is a bad thing and yep. when i say it's a bad thing what multiculturalism means is that it's perfectly acceptable within our society for the society writ large to have widely divergent values and this isn't something that's merely hypothetical, Gary. We've lived through it, okay? There was a period in American history when we were, quote-unquote, multicultural. Half the country thought that owning another human being, treating them as chattel, was a perfectly fine thing. There was another part of the country that thought that wasn't such a good thing, that slavery wasn't such a good thing. So we've had a multicultural experience in our past, and it didn't turn out very well. I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody make that analogy. That's uh, tip of the hat. I, 
I was going to tell you after the show that I was going to have to cut your salary, but I think I <laughs> think you've got another week here. I'm, I'm out ba- on the big bucks. Right. I'm back up to zero. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, the only culture that the left will not tolerate and will do everything it can to eliminate is the, the sort of uh, it's not well defined, but it is out there. The culture of middle America, the, the culture that says family's important. Um, you know, every child needs to have an adult that puts them first before anything else, uh, that there is a God, uh, that um, uh, America has been a unique and, um, and good chapter in the history of the world. The people that believe those things, that's the culture that the left says is unacceptable, a culture that believes that uh, we should try to make America great again. It. You know, they will accept every cultural idiocy, female genital mutilation, you name it. They will, well, that's just what they believe. Who are you to sit in judgment of them? But have some guy say, you know what? You got to stand during the national anthem. Now, that is a cultural view that cannot be tolerated. <laughs> it can't be tolerated. Absolutely cannot be tolerated. Um, there was, I, 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 I keep, um, hearkening back to this, there was a, a, a White House uh, Joe Biden Hanukkah party. And these parties, for some reason, I was in the Trump White House for four years. For some reason, on the Jewish social calendar, the absolute apex, the highlight of Jewish social status is going to a White House Hanukkah party. And I can't, uh, believe it or not, I wasn't really, I haven't been invited to any Biden Hanukkah parties. I'm but just curious how what this year's was. He didn't invite any of the hostage families. I know. And then they, they did this hurry up, try to make up for it. But the fact that that White House did not think that through. They were in, there were eight families and we had talked Here. about this. I was honored and privileged to spend an hour and a half with them last week in Washington. Fox had all, had all of them on last night. I. They were very, they were very impressive people. It's. Way. I, I can't even – we met with him last week with our friend Mike Pence, and how do you say no to these people? How do you uh, – this grandmother of the uh, – of the uh, I think the family name is Bubis. There's a four-year-old and a nine-month-old and the mother. Um, and the grandmother was there uh, who couldn't keep it together. I hardly blame her. Uh, what do you say to these? I mean, uh, and these of course, Netanyahu has to deal with this 24 seven. He's got 24 seven picketers in front of, you know, his home, um, uh, demanding more action to release these hostages. And, uh, Hamas has got them by the proverbial, uh, you know what, because, uh, the Israeli demand is no man, woman, or child ever left behind ever. The problem is that that's created this incentive for, more hostage. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we watched the, uh, Carol and I watched the interview while we were having dinner. And uh, it was, it really pulled on your heartstrings. And then uh, when it was over, because apparently I think that uh, uh, crying during dinner is somehow good for you. <laughs> uh, I uh, bring up the computer and bring up the song, Bring Him Home from Les Mis. And Carol and I sat there, uh, you know, tearing up as we were uh, finishing dinner. Um, it's a real upper to live with. Me. Did she? Uh, did she let it? Did she, Did she let you know when it was ready? Dinner? <laughs> no, no. But if you keep bringing it up, my uh, divorce attorney will likely be calling you and naming you as a co-defendant. Well, I have been. I've been talking with Carol's divorce counsel for some time now, and. Um, <laughs> I think the name of the action is let us know when it's ready, hon. Iran, this according to the American Assistant Treasury Secretary, Elizabeth Rosenberg, yesterday, testimony on the Hill. Iran has accessed $10 billion in sanctions relief, a sanctions waiver that was issued by the Biden administration in November. In other words, this is three weeks after 10-7. They, they uh, waived 
sanctions on oil exports that uh, uh, were internationally recognized sanctions that are totally now not enforced. This this wasn't even non-enforcement. This was a waiver that the Treasury Department issued. And now here come the uh, the the uh, buzzsaw. Uh, I've got the uh, I'm going to let you talk because we got the lawn crew out here. Go ahead, Bauer. Well, no, that's I mean, Tom, th- th- this is scandalous. It's just unbelievably it's 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 almost criminal in my mind. And and again, uh, every Republican ought to be pounding the table about it. Every conservative commentator ought to be writing about it. Uh, this this is just pure insanity. Uh, Tom, uh, you know, we always should try to come up with something that gives people hope. And maybe this just shows the kind of guy I am that I I feel hope when I saw this. Um, the, one of these groups of, uh, of Hamas sympathizers shut down a major highway in Los Angeles yesterday during rush hour. And um, there's video available uh, so literally all these trucks and cars had to, you know, hit the brakes. And, and now, you know, the, the clock is ticking. I mean, it, you know, it's taking forever for the police to get there. Uh, the demonstrators won't move. Uh, what happens, Tom, is that truck drivers, people taking their kids to school, all kinds of people. And by the way, of all ethnic backgrounds, started getting out of their cars and trucks and going up to the demonstrators and fights break out. Literally, the drivers on the highway decided they were going to take care of this themselves. By the time the police got there, it was almost a full-blown riot. I mean, there were fist fights going on. It reminded me of what I think was one of the greatest moments in American history when anti-war demonstrators in New York City in the middle of the Vietnam War marched on City Hall, had the flag lowered on top of the roof of the building. The trade union workers that were on different sites came out to start to battle them. Office workers watching this from their windows decided to go downstairs to stand with the blue collar work workers. And it was not pretty, but it was a sign of good health in America. And I saw it wasn't the same level. It wasn't the same magnitude. But what I saw on that highway in Los Angeles, I hope is the beginning of a resurgence in America of people that are saying, I will not stand, I will not stand by and take this leftist woke you know what anymore. I'm working as hard as I can. I can't pay my bills. Biden economy economics is killing me. My kids are being indoctrinated. I'll be you know what if I'm going to let these bunch of malcontents keep me from getting my to my job, keep me from getting my kids to school. I will go to jail before I let them do that. We uh witnessed the inauguration of a new president of Argentina over the past couple of days. Um, president Mele, I think his name is, and he's a, a Trump style nationalist. And the only reason I bring it up as we come to a close here today is because it wasn't that long ago, um, uh, before, uh, the second world war. In fact, when Argentina was the sixth or seventh richest country in the world, it was a magnificent place. Um, and then things began to unravel when the country turned to uh, a far left socialist um, um, crony capitalism, uh, corruption in government. Uh, if we're to restore our you know vibrant economy, uh, we could take a lesson from this Javier Mille. He's this uh, public servant who uh, just won this massive election in a country that's just failing. I mean, it's it's he won it past the cheating margin, right? Oh, way past, way past twice. There's a first round and a second round. Um, uh, uh, he stands up absolutely 
fearlessly in the face of these radical leftists. They control, you know, all the government, the media, all those institutions. He's basically a no-compromise deregulator. He famously in one of his ads running for president had on a chalkboard all the names of the federal agency he was going to get rid of, and he just went down the list. This, the Interior Department, gone. The Education Department, gone. Um, uh, he's described often in the media as a libertarian, of course, a right wing, extreme right wing, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the other thing he announced was that he's moving the Argentine, Argentine embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. So, of course, naturally, he must be an anti-Semite, anti-Israel because he's uh, 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 pro-Israel. We need somebody like that. I mean, I think we've got somebody like that in the wings waiting, but uh, time's running out. The Washington Post is attacking the heck out of him. It really does show, Tom, that this really is a battle between socialist, neo-Marxist globalists against any country that dares stand for the things that we used to always stand for and that other nations did. Free, you know, free markets, the right of people to invest and get the, the bet, get the, the, the fruit of their labor, uh, an end to this constant race baiting that, you know, we're, 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 you know, borders for nations. Uh, that, you know, where, where did this idea take root that everybody in any place can walk into any other country? And if you say anything about it, you're the bad guy. This is all this is all up for grabs in the Post and New York Times. They hate it when somebody like this guy gets elected. They hate it when there's a country like Israel that believes in borders and believes in Judeo-Christian civilization. Uh, on when uh, as we close out here, when the inauguration took place, uh, the uh, the woman was the previous prime minister a woman. Yeah. President, yeah. yeah. Well, so she was up on the stage and she behaved herself and everything went fine. But then when it was over, as she was leaving the stage and the crowd is cheering for the new prime minister, she turned and gave the crowd the finger. <laughs> yeah, Christina Kirshner, she's a, she's a peach. She's loser, a peach. Right? Look, PBS, this is last night on PBS, which, of course, is publicly funded. They call the guy outlandish and radical. That was in a news report. He's an outlandish um populist radical i just hope and pray that we don't have to fall as far as argentina has before we have our own uh javier mele type revolution because we need it yep i i i agree the the mistake the the marxists and socialists made in argentina was that they didn't they didn't go Marxist enough or there yeah. would have never been a free election. You're right. You're absolutely right. Anyway, we got to skedaddle. Have a great weekend. Who are the uh, – I was about to say Redskins playing this week. I don't even know. Yeah. The, well, you should say the Redskins. I don't know who the Redskins are losing to this week. <laughs> uh, this week. Uh, they got off to a very good start and have lost like what, five in a row or something? Uh, Four in a row? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, know, the, you watch the Giants. The Giants have won three in a row now and this – this quarterback they have, which I think is their third string quarterback, is this Italian guy. And every Italian within, you know, 500 miles of New York City is suddenly feeling Italian pride. And they, they're showing the scenes in the stadium and all these Italian guys are, you know, and apparently when he scores a touchdown or throws a touchdown pass, he does that thing that Italians do when things are going really well. You know, he goes, yeah, you know, and everybody does it in the in the stands or whatever. It's, a, it's really a wonderful From thing. Vinny Testaverde to Tommy DeVito. Yes. Um, well, that's going to that's gonna wrap it up this week. Have a great week. Don't forget to uh, hit the subscribe button to share this with friend and foe alike and to keep listening right here to Sirius XM The Patriot Channel 125. Have a great week. God bless. 